0: When I went to buy a house and it was an abandoned house and I went to buy it and I was trying to buy it and I was trying to find the owner of it. And when we finally figured out who owned it, guess who owned it? I owned it. I was trying to buy a house I already owned and didn't know because the folder had fallen down between a crack between the desk and the wall.
1: You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it very much. If you're new to the show, thank you for checking us out. If you're a returning listener, thank you for loyalty. I promise you I will continue to try to work hard to make sure that this is far from a waste of time. In fact, I want to make sure that I make you more profitable, uh, bring you more value than what you're expecting every single time you turn in Turn in? No, not turn in. Tune in every time you tune in. So thank you for being here again. I appreciate it. Guys, I've got a good one for you today. And uh, I'll tell you what, this one went a lot longer than I expected it to. I usually keep episodes and interviews somewhere in the 45-minute range if I can, or maybe an hour. This one went over an hour. And it was because there was just lots of exciting stuff being talked about. And the guest I had on is 25 years of experience. This guy's been around. He knows what he's talking about. And he is really, really innovative in what he's doing in his market, and I wanted you guys to be exposed to this. His name is Mitch Steven, and he has been self-employed in real estate for over 25 years. Like I said, he's purchased well over 2,000 houses and um, He does it all around the San Antonio, Texas area. Today, he specializes in owner financing properties to individuals left behind by the traditional lending institution. And he works to give new life to properties that scar neighborhoods. He's a popular speaker, podcaster, author. He is the author of three books in a series. The series is called My Life in a Thousand Houses. The first one, subtitle. Failing Forward to Financial Freedom. The second one, 200 Plus Ways to Find Bargain Properties. And then his last book, The Art of Owner Financing. All of them are called My Life and "A 1,000 Houses. Check it out. He's done more than a 1,000 now. So this book is like the, the title, or at least the, the the running title is more than a 1,000, but he's done well over 2,000 now. So we're gonna hear a lot about him, a lot of seller financing stuff, which is really, really fun because I think this is the kind of thing that is gonna become huge over the next few years. Uh, seller finance has been around for a long time, but the market and where we're moving in the market is gonna make seller financing so much more powerful than it already even is. And Mitch is gonna break down exactly how he does it. I mean, he gives everything away, he doesn't hold back. And this was a fun one, guys. So without any further ado, without any further delay, I give you Mitch Steven. All right, Mitch, thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate you taking the time.
0: Hey, it's a it's a pleasure to be here,
1: and uh, I can't wait to talk to this audience. Awesome, thank you very much. And and just kind of doing my my preliminary investigation, like I always do, try to understand who I'm talking to and get a background on them. You have a very rich and uh, and a pretty interesting history in real estate. You've done a lot, and I I always love you know I love talking to newer investors. It's fun to talk to people who just sort of got in in the last four or five years. But to talk to someone who's been in as long as you have, there's such a wealth of knowledge, and I think you've seen market cycles. So that'll be a fun part of our conversation, I think, too, just talking about what we're seeing now. So, but so that everyone else, I know a little bit about you, but just so everyone else does, if you don't mind, let's dial the the, the clock back a little bit and talk about how you got into real estate investing to begin with, and what drove you to real estate, and why do you why do you stay in real estate, right? Why have you, Why have you endured when everyone else, or not everyone, but a lot of people have have gotten out over the years.
0: Well, so I started basically because uh, I had a, a substantial relationship with a woman and I and I got left for someone who was a, a gentleman rancher and an oil baron. Basically, he was rich and I was so broke I couldn't rub two nickels together. Okay. And I couldn't even blame her. I had to look in the mirror and go, you know, I would have picked him, too. <laughs> like, why, why would you want to hang around with this numbskull? Oh, you know, God. you're not going anywhere. So what are you going to do about that? I made up my mind, I wasn't going to. It was never going to happen to me again. Yeah. And I figured I'd be alone for a long time. And, and I just went out to spend my proverbial time in the woods trying to figure out who I am and where I belong and where is financial freedom? Where's my path to financial freedom? My family didn't talk about money. My family didn't own businesses. My, You know, I, I, no one ever told me this stuff. School didn't tell me anything. Once I started learning this stuff, I was like appalled. Like, why didn't anybody talk to me about this stuff? <laughs> I mean, it's all over the place and no one said a word for like yeah. 22 years old what the hell you know is
1: going on <laughs> yeah 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 i know the feeling like some no, of no the one, yeah no no one no one said a word to me about it either i no one of my family entrepreneur no you know exactly i know exactly what you mean i discovered it later than you did so count your blessings but yeah i hear you
0: well, I'm saying I was 22 and didn't know, but I really didn't, I didn't launch my career until I was 34 because I spent all that time gathering, piecing together what I wasn't told, figuring out that it wasn't hype. A lot of it wasn't hype and sales. It was true. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was all, I thought it was a bunch of sales pitchy stuff. And some of it was, but, you know, I sure. started figuring out, you know, I don't, I don't think this is a sales pitch. I think these guys are actually making some money like this, you know, and yep. being successful. And so, um, you know, I read Robert Allen's book, Nothing Down. This guy had the audacity to suggest that I could get into real estate and make a, you know, do very, very well, if not make a fortune with starting with no money in which, you know, if being broke was a requirement, I could buy the whole town because I was like so broke. I could just do it all. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I learned to, I I read that book, but it took me like seven years to own the concept in my heart. You can read some words and you're not ready. You know, the the teacher will appear when the student's ready. Well, he appeared, but I wasn't ready. You know, I I couldn't even fathom, you know, that it was really like, okay, maybe for some people, but that's not me. Well, then seven years later, I was buying a condo to live in. And then another one down the street came up that was two bedrooms and not an efficiency. So I said, well, I want the two bedroom. And then I figured out if I rented out the bedroom and I rented out my efficiency, I could like make 50 bucks a month to own two places, you know? So I did that. And then somebody came along and offered to buy my condos and I made made more money in that one decision than I made in like a year and a half at my job if I saved it all. I mean, every penny. And then the light bulb kind of went off and I'm thinking... I think I need to check this real estate out again I and revisit these books again. And of course, when I reread the books, after those some experiences and some maturing, yeah, I was able to actually absorb the message like deeper. And I say, you know, learn the lesson in my heart or own it in my heart before it was just words and an idea that when, you know, when it starts to work is when you own it in your heart. And by accident, I made some money in real estate, which excited me, which got me to go further into it. And, you know, I flipped a couple of I flipped a couple of houses and put thirty five thousand in the bank, which was a year's salary for me. I was yeah. a bartender; it was a year's worth of work, and I had it in the bank. And I thought, you know, I was looking for a bartender job when I found this one, and I can find another one again anytime yeah. I want. Yeah. So I'm going to take the year off and see what I can do, and I'm going to pace that money just like I was making it at the bar. So I only allowed myself to take out at the same pace I was taking. I had to live the same way. Yeah, and um. And I did 45 houses that year. It was 1996. I did, the next year, I did um, 65 houses. The next year after that, I did 150 houses. And then uh, 150 houses was too much. I, I I grossed a lot of money, but I was so unorganized and yeah. so inexperienced unexper- to be at that level that the money was going out the back door as fast as it was coming in the front door, and I was killing myself. You know, yeah. I, I didn't I, I I made about the same as I made with 65 houses, but I didn't have a life and I was burned to a crisp. Now, you did know?
1: you have a team at that point, Mitch? Did were you did you have people that worked for you, or did you do 150 by yourself?
0: No, I had a partner. Okay, uh, we were both. We're both about, you know, we're about four years difference in age at the time. Um, and then we had our family members working for us, which was, almost the wrong thing to do. I mean, I mean, having family work for you is a bad idea. Yeah. 99.9% of the time. Yeah. Now I still have my family working for me. And Shannon, my daughter has been sitting in the center of my office now for 25 years, but it took a long time to everyone understand there can't be two captains of a ship Yep. and it's got to run my way. Yep. And it was very strenuous and very difficult. Very yeah, difficult. Yeah. 150 um, houses but, is no but, joke. I had help but it was all the wrong help and they were all learning as we went too so we were making lots of mistakes. Yeah. I actually I actually shut it down when I went to buy a house and I it was an abandoned house and I went to buy it and I was trying to buy it and I was trying to find the owner of it and when we finally figured out who owned it guess who owned it? I owned it. I was trying to buy a house I already owned and didn't know because wow. the folder had fallen down between a crack between the desk and the wall. And, the, and and my lender at the time was letting the interest accrue. And I was just paying it closing because I was buying a house, fixing it or not fixing it. And I was flipping it within 60, 90 days. So the guy just said, let the payments accrue. Well, it had been between the wall and the desk that file for eight months.
1: Oh my gosh. Wow.
0: And if I hadn't have tried to buy my own house, I don't know how long that house would have been there. <laughs> and I that's when I threw up my hands and I said, you know what? We gotta slow the hell down. We gotta stop yeah. everything right now. I need to reassess everything.
1: That's a company cry for help <laughs> when you try to buy yeah. your own house. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I've never heard that story, man. And I have talked to thousands of people. And that's a funny one. Tried to buy your own house. You were so disorganized. Too funny. what
0: are the what are the chances out of a, a a population, in the city of million counting the surrounding areas. What are the chances I would find that problem the way that I found it?
1: Right. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Now, just out of curiosity. That's like, that's
0: like, that's like like God going, Hey, hey, let me give you some help here because you're really in trouble.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a little tap on the shoulder from God. Was the house renovated already or was it not renovated? No, it was was an abandoned house. So you bought it, didn't do anything to it and forgot about
0: it. And and the file fell, 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 really literally fell between the desk and the wall in the crack. And it was sitting there, wow. and and because I didn't have payments, no one was knocking on the door going, "Hey, right. where's my payment for this house?" And then I would, but I didn't have payments. The interest was just accruing until yeah. I closed and, yeah. and sold it, and I'd pay everything. I'd pay. I'd settle up with my private lender when I sold the house.
1: Sure. Well, yeah. they weren't. They weren't calling me. <laughs> That is so funny. The lender probably was fine with it. He's just he's just accruing interest. No problem there, right? That is so. Yeah, he funny. He said
0: finally, finally a house that's going to hang around for a while. This is great. You know yeah, that's exactly. What
1: he now were these all these 150 houses? Were they all flips that you were doing? No, my
0: my my mo for well, you know we all kind of start out as wholesalers or flippers, but then my mo was. I, was to buy it, fix it or not fix it, and then sell or finance it, yeah. and then sell the note at the, so sometimes I would do like I called it a grand slam. I would get the house under contract to buy. I would find a buyer that would, had a down payment that wanted to buy it, and I would, I would agree on terms with him. Then I would fax the my buyer's application to the note buyer and say, if I buy this house and if I owner finance the house to this guy right here with this much down and these payments, how much will you give me for this this note if I make this note on this house? Because I, I didn't own the house yet even. Yeah. And they would say, you know, 87% or whatever. And if they hit the right number, I would approve the guy and I would go buy the house and we'd we'd have a triple closing. I would buy the house, sell the house to my seller finance buyer. And then I would sell the note all in the same hour. And who was and, buying and that's the note? How I in this
1: case, who was buying the note?
0: It was associates before they went out of business, which was a division of Ford Motor Credit, who okay. bought all the, the third party, uh, what do they call them, uh, challenge notes? Or what do you call them? uh, uh subprime notes subprime yeah. notes yeah. and they were paying like 87 to 93% of the note balance without even an appraisal it was the, we call it the good old days yeah. when they had a drive by appraisal
1: and yeah you know. yeah wow so you are doing that wait how long ago was this right in the beginning when you first started you were doing this kind of stuff
0: it was 96 97 98 and my first in my first 45 6550 houses this is what we were doing and and you know i never you know, the biggest month I had during that time, but keep, keep in mind, you know, I was making 35,000 a year as a bartender. You know, there was a month I had a partner, so I only got half of the profit. And then how we did so many houses was I would, I, I went out to the, to the community and said, don't tell anybody, but I'll, but I'll, I'll partner with people and pay 50% if they bring a deal that's 50 cents on the dollar. And I'd I'd act like it was a secret and the word would go through the real estate community like crazy. I would have a line outside my door every day of 10 or 15 people that wanted because they didn't have the money. And I had a guy behind us. You know, we wanted 18 percent, but we only had these houses for 30, 60, 90 days.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so it didn't matter the interest rate. Right. And then. And I, and and I asked my private lender once he got comfortable. I said, how much do you want to get out? He said, you can't get out enough. Well, I took that as a personal challenge. (laughs) You can't, you can't get out enough. Yeah. So that's when I did 150 houses trying to see if I could find out where his bottom was. And I never did find out. So I started advertising for people to bring deals because I wanted to find out how many houses can this guy go? Yeah. And, uh, and, um, so I was given 50% of the deal to the person who brought the deal. And then I was splitting the other fifty percent with my partner, so I was only making twenty five percent. There was months I made seventy and eighty thousand dollars. My my twenty five percent, and this was a guy. This was a month, you know, and, and this was a guy who before then had never made more than thirty five thousand dollars a year. Crazy!
1: Wow. Wow so after that first year of, of kind of like rationing your money so that you only spent that 35,000 that you normally would have had <clears throat> did did you increase that over the next year did you you were a young person at this point still right? so I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, this I'm is a good question the, I'm impressed with the discipline so far. go ahead.
0: I w- I, 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 I'm I glad you're asking this up because it was the next evolution. I still maintained my current lifestyle. Now yeah. I did, you know, one time my investor asked me, the guy with the deep pockets, and I was always cognizant of how I look to, to private money lenders yep. and to bankers and stuff. And he said, I was making this money and he was kind of a mentor. Well, he was a mentor to me. Later, he would become my business partner in another business, mobile home, the mobile home, seller financing mobile homes. Okay. okay. But, one time he asked me, he goes, why are you still driving that old truck with 150,000 miles on it? You know, I had a Chevy extra cab, you know, that was like yep. seven or eight years old. Yep. He goes, you can drive anything you want. You can drive a Mercedes. And I looked him square in the eye. And I think this was the day that I really want him. I said, I'm not interested in cars. I'm interested in freedom. I'm interested in my financial freedom and the stability of my family and my income for a long period of time. I don't give a damn about a car. Yeah, And I think that's when I got the, the guy. Yeah, uh, He later became my business partner. You know, this guy was a, he was a political prisoner. He was captured in the Bay of Pigs by Castro when he spent a couple of years in, in uh, Castro's hotel where they did very horrible things to him in the morning. Uh, Every every day, and uh, I learned a lot from that man. Wow,
1: wow, that's that's amazing. And you're right. You know the way the way you because I always tell people like especially when it comes to private money, people loan money to people. They don't loan money to businesses. So if you would have had some impressive PowerPoint or some you know thing that you could show them physical, like hey, this is what I do. That's going to have less of an impact than the way you conduct yourself, the way you return money on time as promised. You know the way that you kind of do what you say you're going to do. That's huge. And people think sometimes that if they project. Inject some, uh, you know, wealth or or success, and they drive flashy cars. Like that's going to make people feel comfortable loaning to them, but it really doesn't. I think people who have that kind of money, they appreciate people who are, you know, careful and live within their means, and and really more importantly, the first time you borrow money, the first handful of times you borrow money. And fr- frankly, every time you borrow money, but specifically yeah, in the beginning, time. right? Like you better, you better do exactly what you say you're going to do and return money on time as promised. Be, be early. Yeah. Be early. Exactly. You know? um,
0: my, my office said, well, the payments aren't due to the first and the people were getting them on the third or first, third or the fourth. And I said, no, the payments are due on the first. We send our payments on the 24th or the 25th, but we, they got to get there on the first, you yeah. know, or, 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 or the 31st, you know, uh, um, you know. Today, after when I can state that I have a 20 year career that I've done over 2000 houses, it's okay to show up in an $80,000 F250 or to have a, or, or to have a, a Rolex on sure. your arm. It, it, that, that's okay. But when you, when you're young and starting out and, you know, when they add, when they clearly. You know, you tell them I've been in the business a year or two or three or four or five. That's no time to be showing that you're you're frivolous with the money or you're not having respect for the money.
1: Right. You know. You know. That's just my humble opinion. Hundred uh, percent. So let's let's fast forward. I, I want to talk about what you're doing now, but before we do that, <clears throat> let's move forward to like two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Right. We all know what happened around that time frame. Right. The big the big crash. The economically, the country was terrible, and and the real estate market was crashing. What happened to your business? How did it Change if, if at all? How did it change your business? How did you react to that? What did you do right? And then maybe if there were things that you don't think you, you wish you could do again, what would you do different?
0: Okay, man, I love this topic because this is where I actually learned my business. You know, just like partners. Your business, everything's hunky-dory in the good time. Yeah. We learn what a good partner is, or we learn what a good business is when it can survive a bad time. Yep, you know when 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 things don't go right at all. Absolutely, that's how we learn our partners, who our partners really are, and who are and what are if our business is really a good business. Yep. This business, and I, I never say it is, but I say if there is such thing as a recession-proof business, the seller finance strategy is probably one of them. Agreed. Because what happened in two thousand and eight was, you know, before two thousand and eight. Uh, anybody who could fog a mirror could get a loan. That was part of the problem that caused the collapse. They were given loans to people stating their income. They were given bullshit loans to bullshit people who weren't afraid to lie on a federal document, you know? And so... And, and they were taking those notes that I made. They were paying way too much for them. Associates was paying an incredible amount of money for a really high risky thing. And then they were fragmenting out that paper and, and no one ever really had a first lien on anything because they were selling segments of loans to people. And, and it just, it was just stupid. It was greedy. And, and so about, you know, one day, and I don't play golf, we'll just use the analogy. I'm on my golf course so and my golf cart and I get a phone call from the office and my daughter Shannon says, Hey, just want to give you an FYI. There's 15 foreclosures uh, we're, we're doing right now. We just, we're going to have to foreclose on 15 people. I said, hmm, that's not good. Okay, get on it. Next month, I'm driving in the golf course, on the golf cart, on the golf course. And, and she calls me and says, we got another 15. We're up to 30. I'm like, this ain't good. Let me, you know. So the next month I'm driving on the golf course in my golf cart. And she calls me and says, we got another 15. We're up to 45. I jumped out of the golf cart, didn't even turn it off, watched it drive right into the pond. I rolled up my sleeves and I went to, and I said, I got to go to work. I got to go to work. There's, this is bad. And so because, because of a few things, I was only taking two or 3,000 down on a hundred our house, like 3% or 4%. That was one mistake I was making. Okay. Two, I wasn't betting these people very hard. My houses needed work and you know, they weren't in the greatest neighborhoods and I had convince myself that i wasn't going to find good people and that this is the way the business was yeah which is wrong number 3 i i didn't want well, skip number three. So these are two major problems. So what happened was as soon as times got tough, if someone was on a fence, they fell off on the wrong side. That was the foreclosure. Yeah. And so uh, I rolled up my sleeves and I I, I said, I called my contractors. I said, we got to start, you know, we got to fix more houses faster. Well, the most they could really do is like four at a time. I'm looking at 45 going. And then I didn't even know if there's going to be another 15 next month. So yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. It stopped there at 45, but I didn't know. So the fear was high. I had 150 houses, and 45 of them were were vacant. Or, I, worse yet, I was going to have to take the time to kick someone out who wasn't leaving, but they, but they weren't paying. So, I come to the conclusion I can't fix houses fast enough. At four houses, you know, every month I'll be broke by the time I get all these houses fixed and sold. So, I had to start looking at what I had in these houses and picking like in, in, in seller financing them as is with the hole in the roof and the broken windows and the kicked in door. And so, by the time they finished doing eight houses. I had sold all my as is houses. The best seller financing strategy or the best strategy in all of real estate, as far as little old Mitch Steven is concerned, is buy it. Don't fix it. Seller finance it for double. And then watch the man making payments to you go over budget, fixing up your collateral. It's the greatest plan on the world. So watch the example here. Okay. I can, and don't, don't, don't don't trip over the the numbers. Just watch the theory. I got a house I can buy for 40. It needs 20,000 repairs. That means I got 60 in it and about 30 to 45 days repair time. So now I got to sell it for 120. I got 60 in it. I want to sell it for double most of the time. It doesn't always work out, but that's my goal. You know why? Because I can divide by two really easy and I can multiply <laughs> by two really easy. I'm a friggin' genius when it comes to two. Yeah. Um, and so I got to sell it for 160 owner finance with at least 10%, at least 10% down. And that was key. I started letting my houses sit till there was a man or a buyer with a substantial amount of skin in the game. It's substantial to them, at least, you know? Yeah. yeah. So $12,000 down, $12,000 was a lot to these people. It's a lot to anybody, really. But to them, it was like everything they'd save for, for five and 10 years. Yeah. Or I could just buy it for 40, not put the 20 in it and seller finance it for 80 as is and let some other blue collar guy get the upside by putting in the work. Yeah. 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 I, I still doubled my money either way, but when I was buying, not fixing, and owner financing, I was saving all the risk. All the risk was in the rehab and all the time was in the rehab. Yeah. So, what, when I started to sell these houses that I wasn't fixing, you know, as a seller financier, I can seller finance you a house with a hole in the roof the size of your kitchen table. Yeah. I'll, I'll finance the house and the hole if our, if, if my buyer, Agrees if we agree on a price and terms. Yeah, and because I'm the underwriter of everything, you can't do that with a new loan or FHA loan. It won't pass inspection. Yeah, I am. I am the the last bottom word on all of it when I own the house. And so I was able to buy a house in the morning, put it up for sale by two o'clock that afternoon, and I was averaging nine days on the. I've averaged nine days on the market in the last three hundred houses, and I've averaged twelve percent down, not ten percent. Um, and so. Within like a short period of time, 60 days, everything was redone. There was much better payers in them and people were fixing up their own houses, which gave them more pride and more skin in the game. And the chances of getting those houses back was almost nil because of the commitment of the people that moved in. The upfront money commitment and the the sweat equity a commitment and the pride of they had, they had rebuilt that house the way they wanted it, the way they, the colors they wanted. Yeah. And so I started getting a much stronger business today. My foreclosure rate, even during the pandemic is
1: 0.02%. That's incredible. That's awesome.
0: And if I ever get those houses back that, you remember I had 40 and I sell our finance for 180 and then yeah. they fixed it up. So it's worth 120. If I get it back, I got 40 in it and it's worth 120 now. Yeah. Like, Look, I want to make this very clear. I do not ever want to take someone's house. I think it's the shittiest business plan in the whole wide world. I want someone to be successful. But if I have to, it it was set up to not fail. The, the, The business model was really primed not to fail because everything had a nice yes green check mark in the right box. And so because of Dodd-Frank, I started to have it to vet my people. I had to have a reasonable reason to believe that they could make the payments. I didn't like Dodd-Frank. I still don't like Dodd-Frank. I think they overshot the whole thing. But one thing good came out of it. It forced me to address that issue. I started checking on people harder and I started finding better people and it made a noticeable impact in my business to the, to the good. So now here's the really cool thing about I, I'm glad you asked me about how we survived the recession. I got them loaded, but then since I had private money, I could buy. I was buying a house a day in 2009 and 2010, a house a day because prices that I was buying them for was reminiscent of the price I was buying houses 15 years prior. The houses had gone from $57,000 down to $27,000. Yep. 70% of those sales were cash in those neighborhoods, but still they were going for 25, 26, 27, and they were selling. For 57. Now follow me closely here. I probably I'm gonna say that I invented the OFB. If I didn't, the, the the acronym, the owner finance value. Okay. You have the ARB, the mail, but I think I invented the OFB. And the owner finance value is a value unto itself. And how you how you calculate the owner finance value of a property is, is to back into the rents and find out how you can make a renter who's paying a thousand dollars a month be an owner P-I-T-I for a thousand dollars a month. And here's the formula. You take a thousand dollars rent or you take the rent. Let's say it's a thousand bucks. Subtract the taxes and the insurance, the monthly taxes and insurance. So let's say it's $100 for taxes and $50 for insurance for easy numbers. So 1000 minus 150 is 850. That's how much this renter has for PITI. I mean, I'm sorry, for, I'm sorry, for principal and interest. Sure. Because no matter what he buys, the taxes are going to still be in there. So if, if you take 850 as a principal interest payment and you plug it into an amortization schedule where the payment is 850, the interest rate's 10% and the term is 30 years. You can solve for the balance. How much can he borrow at 10% for 30 years and have an 850 payment? Or you could just multiply 850 times 115 and you'll be very close. Love so it. that comes out to be $97,750 is how much he can borrow at 10% for 30 years and have an 850, give or take a few dollar payment. Now, if he can borrow now ninety seven thousand seven hundred fifty bucks looks like ninety eight thousand to me. I always round off, and I always round in my favor. So ninety eight thousand. If they can borrow ninety eight thousand, then what's that make the OFB or the owner finance value? Well, I will only accept ten percent down payment as a minimum, but I never want to go for minimum anything. So I, I'm going to add twelve percent on top of that ninety eight. And if you multiply ninety eight thousand times twelve percent, you're going to come up with a number that looks really close to uh 110,000. That's the owner finance value. This is in the neighborhood where the houses were selling, Uh, you know, let me readjust here. So the houses were selling for 27,000, but when I backed into the rents across the street and in the neighborhood, it said I could owner finance the house for 59. 2000 over what they were selling for before the crap. Right. So the people go, well, who's going to do that? People who can't get a traditional loan. I'm offering them the the chance to move from paying a thousand dollars a month for nothing, which will be more expensive next year and more expensive the year after that to getting a fixed 30 year payment of a thousand now, which you are the owner. You get the appreciation. You get the tax write off and you get to do with what you want and make it your home, your dynasty. Yep. That's what, that's what I'm offering.
1: Okay. And, and- L- let me jump in here because I got I got some questions here. This is so this is such good stuff. First of all, I want to underscore and highlight and emphasize and bold the fact that you said you do not. Your goal is not to evict people, and I and I think that's important, right? Because I say on my show all the time. I like to emphasize that uh, the good in people, right? Some people will set things up knowing they're setting people up for failure so that they can rinse and repeat. And that's not what we're talking about here. So anyone listening, let's be clear. So that's number one. I like that a lot. Number two, uh, I-, I love that OFV formula. First of all, that's fantastic. People, if you didn't write that down, if you didn't get that, rewind, replay that. That's important because essentially, and correct me if I'm wrong, what you're basically doing is you are giving them ownership and and not giving them necessarily the ability to say, well, I could rent and it'd be a lot cheaper. No, it wouldn't be cheaper. It'd be the same. And like you said, it's going to go up eventually. They're going to raise rents on you. Right, so mine will be cheaper. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish what you're going to say.
0: Well, so like I had realtors come in. Sometimes, sometimes I'd buy that house for 27 in that neighborhood, and you know, in that neighborhood, they couldn't get loans during the good time. They damn sure couldn't get a loan when the banks closed up. And yeah. I got to talk to you about why this is recession proof still. So don't 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 let me forget. No, I won't. So I the won't. realtor would, the realtor would say, "You're ripping this person off." You know, clearly, but there's 20 comps in the neighborhood that show that this house is worth 27, and you're selling to you, you're selling your sales price is 59, really? And I'd say. I'm not ripping anybody off. The person who's ripping this man off is the landlord of that house across the street that he's paying $1,000 a month for because he's getting $1,000 a month and he's not giving your client a damn thing. Yep. He's not giving them one thing. And I said, now, and then I make him answer. I'd say, what do, the rent's a 1000 now. I'm offering a 30-year fixed $1,000 payment, which is exactly what he's paying across the street. What do you think the rent's gonna be five years from now for this man if he stays where he's at? And they would start to mumble and I say, no, give me a number. And They say, well, you know, a twelve hundred. I said, okay. What will the rent be 10 years, ten years, from now? They start mumbling. I say, no, give me a number. And I make them go all the way up to twenty five years, and then thirty years. And then they say what they think it is in thirty years. You know, two twenty five hundred a month or three thousand a month. I said, this man's payment's still a thousand dollars. Yeah. So if he goes with me, and God only knows what this house is worth in right, thirty years, exactly. and he's going to own that upside. Yeah. So if you if you talk him out of this, you've done him a disservice because what, he's not going to. Find a house, he's not financeable by in a traditional way, so the only way he's going to get a house, forget about the interest rate. And if you don't like thirty years, then make twelve hundred dollar a month payment on your thousand payment. You'll be done in no, you know, you'll be done in fifteen or fourteen years, whatever. Yeah. yeah. But I said, don't don't go around telling me that I'm doing this man a disservice. Now, here's key. She said, well, what if he needs to sell? He's in the military; he has to move. He's not ever going to be able to get out of it. He's upside down. Number one, this isn't going to stay this way forever. The 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 things are going to turn. You know, the values will turn again. But number two, if he needs to leave the day after he buys it, all he has to do is run an ad, find someone. Who has to replace his down payment, you know, his down payment is is, is six thousand dollars. If he can find a person with ten thousand down, it's his money, it's his house, he can get the down payment. Just have him bring that man over so that I can qualify him. And if if, if that person qualifies. Then then I'll let him I'll let I'll let your client hand the payment book to the buyer and I'll just start collecting payments from the new guy. It's a qualifying assumption. I said, "Do you remember that realtor? Do you remember what qualifying assumptions were?" He says, "I'm offering this man a qualifying assumption." I just don't want to sell this house to a someone who hasn't put up any money. I will not let someone in this house that hasn't given your client a substantial amount of money. And B, I want to make sure that the person in that house didn't kill the last person that came to collect payments, okay? <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so let me ask so, you this real quick. Let me let me clarify this for folks that are listening too, because I want to be, a lot of people talk about s- similar situations, seller financing, but just to be clear, and I'm, I'm asking for me too, because I want to make sure that I'm, I'm right about this. You always, or maybe usually, but I'm going to say always purchase the house on the front end. You're not owner financing it from the original owner. And then no, doing some sort of I, a sandwich I, I, owner finance thing.
0: I try to get the seller to finance and it wouldn't be a sam- it wouldn't be a sandwich. It would just be I'd have if I if I in both cases with the private lender or if my seller finances me, there's There is permission inside that loan for me to wrap the mortgage. So it's not a sub two deal where I there's a due on sale clause looming in the background all the time. My $26 million out in the street right now, every single one of those private lenders understands I'm going to sell this house on payments, understands I'm not going to pay them off when I do that. I'm going to pay them off at some time, but I'm not going to pay them off at that event. And they understand I'm going to wrap their mortgage. The, the the man who's in the house paying me eight fifty, his mortgage to me is gonna wrap around my mortgage to my private lender who I'm paying three fifty. Right. Now I want you to do the math here real quick. I'm collecting over three hundred mortgage payments uh every month right now. And I average it's pretty close, almost five hundred bucks a month. So use five hundred for easy math. I'm collecting five hundred dollars a month positive cash flow on every one of those mortgages, and I do not have a $150,0 a, a month positive cash flow. Of which I am not a landlord, which means it's not my air conditioner, it's not my roof, it's not my hot water heater. So unlike a landlord, all that money's hitting my bottom line, with the possible exception of if, if I have to foreclose on somebody. Yeah, that's. Okay. So my office costs about 25 grand a month to run. And this is not counting the down payments. I got 150,000 coming in a month minus 25,000 in overhead. And I'm collecting at least 10% down or a million dollars in down payments for every hundred houses. That's so I'm, I'm I'm making a million dollars in down payments to create a $150,000 positive cash flow of which I got to pay my office head out of.
1: So for folks that are listening that are a little bit more experienced, okay? And and I I have not done much owner financing in my time. It's just not been one of the models that I have used, although you're making me think I've made a huge mistake and that I should be doing that especially going forward. However, the one thing that I can imagine people are saying right now in their cars is how in the world are you collecting 10%, 12% down on these 40 dollars dollars $60,000 houses? Because I know folks locally to me that have tried to have a similar a model and they said I just I cannot get anything more than a few thousand dollars down there's just nobody who has that kind of money who's buying a $60,000 house so how how have you managed that what do you do to get that kind of a down payment or how do you how do you find that is it just this just what happens in in your market or is there some strategy that you?
0: I won't say that it might it could be kind of market or regional uh, effect but I also know until I started demanding that I didn't get it before I believed I could get it I wasn't Getting it. Okay. You know, I, I realized that it was cheaper to leave my house blank than to put in someone for 3% and then have to take it back and refix it or, you know, all that crap, pay the foreclosure. It was cheaper just to wait for the person that had more of a substantial commitment, you know, and 10% seemed to be the number. I won't tell you that I don't ever take 8%, but I take 12% more than I take 8%. Let me tell you another difference than being a landlord. When you're a landlord, what do you get as a, what do you get up front? You get the first month's rent and maybe a deposit equal to the first month's
1: rent. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm, in, in a hundred thousand dollar house, there's, there's days that someone walks in with 30,000 down with 45,000 down because they just sold a property and they don't want the money to evaporate. They just want to roll it over to the next property and have a low payment. You'll never, ever get a $45,000, $30,000 non-refundable rent deposit on your house. No. There's a huge upside there. It, it, it happens more than you think. I, you know, the reason why I average 12% down is because sometimes people walk in with a lot of money and, um, but I want to talk about this recession yeah, thing real, do quick, I real do quick, too. quick. So, so let's agree on a couple of things. It's not across the board, but can we agree that most most of the renters would rather own if they had the same cost per month? Yes. You know, if it's a thousand dollars a month to rent, wouldn't they rather own? You know, most of the renters would rather own for 1, a thousand month if they only so. knew how or they they could. Yeah, I think. Now so. the separator being the separator being, do you have a down payment? Because I, you don't have good credit, so that's I need that commitment. Even then, I look at the credit. If someone's in the middle of their debacle right now, I'm just going to be the next piece of the debacle. It needs to be, their, bad, their credit needs to be ruined because there was a thing that happened in the past. It's over with now, but but the, the, the credit bureau is not forgiving them. But I can see where they passed it. So we agree that. Renters would rather own than rent if it was the same monthly amount. Can we agree that during the recession, The cause of the recession or the effect of the recession, banks close down for all practical purposes. They don't close, but they stop loaning money, right? Can we agree on that? Yep. Okay, so now I'm just going to ask some simple questions. Don't overthink it. Just say the
1: first common sense thing. What happens to the price of houses when banks stop loaning money? What happens to the price of houses when banks stop loaning money? They probably Mm -hmm. go down. Yeah, because most people can't write a check. They have to borrow money to buy a house. It's called a mortgage. And
0: when banks stop loaning money, they can't, they're out. When people can't buy a house, what kind of house are they in? They're not in a house they own. They're in a house they what? Yeah,
1: the house they rent for sure.
0: Yeah, they rent. Yep. So in a recession, people can't buy houses because the banks have locked up. So they all have to be renters. What happens to rents when there's a lot of pressures put on rents?
1: (laughs) Well, supply and demand, right? They go up
0: right. What did I tell you? My sales price is based on rent. So in the middle of a recession, I had the only appreciating house price in the state of Texas because I was offering seller finance based on the rent. My bankers fell out of their chair. They would not believe me, but I kept bringing in deal after deal. My spreadsheet kept growing. I was buying a house a day and selling a house a day for the, until I scared myself. Until I scared myself uh, after like 45 houses <laughs> uh, because I had that 45 houses I'd been foreclosed on. Yeah. When I saw that was clearing up, I started buying. And, um, and so here's the key. Because of private money. I was the only guy open on both ends during the recession. I was selling my houses higher than I'd ever sold houses before because the rents were going up. I didn't need a bank to buy houses because I had private money. My buyer didn't need a bank to buy my house because I was financing him. I was open on both ends, running like a banshee through downtown San Antonio, buying a house a day. It was incredible. I bu- So when you have a business that does well in the good times, but booms like crazy in recession, when is it you go broke? I, and I can tell you when, I can tell you when. It sounds like, never. <laughs> it sounds like well, never. But you know, you know, it's not that simple. There's yeah, always yeah, a yeah. way. There's sure. always a risk. Yep. So here's how you go broke. You go broke if you don't have integrity. If you start sure. jicking people around or doing bullshit, you're going to get in a lawsuit and lawsuits are very expensive. Yep. You'll get, you'll go broke if you don't conform to some state and federal guidelines or laws, because again, they're going to file a lawsuit against you and they can put you right out of business if not in prison. Yeah. Number three, you can't over leverage even when it's booming. I still at that 60 Five percent LTV, well, it's OFB. loan to owner finance value. You got to remember the owner finance value is a value unto itself. It is not even remotely close. In the good times, like right now, The, the owner finance value using that formula will be very close to the, to the comps. But in the bad times, the comps will be way down in the, in, in, in in the, in the value using the formula will be way high, even over what the comps say. Yeah. Because of that, that effect of the pressure on the rents. And so, um, just remember that you can go broke if you over leverage, if you don't have integrity or you don't conform to your state and
1: federal laws.
0: If you can keep those three things in check, then you, you're gonna be swell. You'll be
1: fine. Circle back on the sixty five percent of the OFV. I, I you less you lost me there. I didn't hear you say that the first time around. I know. know I never borrow more. I,
0: I, I, never, I never ask my private lenders to loan me more than the sixty-five percent of the OFV or that number that I come up when I run that rent formula. Yeah. I explain to my lenders I am not going by traditional values. I'm going to show you how I'm going to arrive at the value of my house. I get them to agree that renters would rather own. I get, I get them to agree why it's better for renters to do with me, even though I'm ten percent why Why they would. I explain that story about the realtor and everything to my private lenders so they understand what exactly what I'm doing and how I'm arriving at my value. Yeah. I never tell my private lenders, I only borrow 65% of the value. I tell them I only borrow 50% of the owner finance value. Let me show you and get you to agree on this OFV gotcha. value so it. that we're on the same page. Because if you said value, you could get in a very big dispute. This is not the MIA appraiser's value. It is not the professional's broker opinion or BPO. It's not a CMA because those are all based primarily 98% on sales prices where the buyer could get a new loan. Yeah. I am not dealing with that man. Yep. I am not dealing with that man. I'm not dealing with their personality. I'm not dealing with their, 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 their pluses or their minuses. I'm dealing with a very specific person who has, who is, who is inherently flawed in this one area. And I have a way to overcome that flaw. <clears throat> yeah.
1: Yep, that makes total sense. Let me ask you this: If people out there say, "Hey, I love this model. Mitch makes nothing but sense. I'm super excited. We're probably coming on some sort of a recession or at least a downturn," and they want to do this, there, there's it's math, right? It it only makes sense at a point. You have to borrow money at a certain interest rate, I would think. What is what is an interest rate someone should be targeting from their lenders in order for this to, to work, or or do you think it could be okay? So. Go ahead. Uh, this
0: is what I, off- this is what I offer
1: my private lender and I can just give them a choice.
0: If you want to give me a 15 year fully amortized loan, which is generally a young person who has the money coming out of their IRA or something, and they can't get to it till they're 59 and a half. Yeah. So they just want a long term yeah. loan, set it, forget it. You know, I'll pay 10%. That's a pretty good rate of return, especially given the fact that I'm, I'm not going to average borrowing 58% of what that value is. You know? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I only go to 65 max, but I average borrowing only 58% because I only borrow what I need. I don't borrow money to live on or, you know, sure. that's one of the rules I've stuck to that kept me successful. That's smart. So if you want to give me a 10-year amortization, fully amortized, 10-year loan, no balloons, 9%. If you want to give me a 15-year am with a seven-year balloon, eight and a half percent. If you want to give me a 15-year am with a five-year balloon, five, I'll pay 8%. And then it kind of goes down from there. Sometimes I'll take, these little properties or mobile homes and land that are cheap dollar amounts. I say, you know, I just want to finance it for seven years or six years or five years. In that case, seven-year fully ambed loan, 7%. Six-year fully ambed loan, 6%. Five-year fully ambed loan, 5%. Because there's no risk going in really because I won't borrow over my parameter. Right. And every time I make a payment on such a short note, their risk goes down every month because yep. I'm paying principal interest on a very short note. So risk kind of equals reward. You're going to go out on a little higher risk, I can pay you. I can pay you a little little higher um interest rate.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I like it. Thanks for that uh thanks for that clarification. That's that's helpful. Um okay. So, I love it. That's how it's recession proof and that makes sense to me. It really does. I'm not just saying that. I'm I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but that did make sense to me and I think it'll make sense to people listening. Talk about what your business looks like. In a good in the good times, and I assume it's the same. But like this, you, we're living through maybe at this at this moment, maybe one of the the best sellers market, the hottest market, whatever you want to call it. We're kind of at the top of that roller coaster, I think, or somewhere near it. Right? That's where it is here. Yeah, exactly. It's where it is here too. And I think most places around the country. So, is the strategy just as sound as it is in in the in the downturn, like during the? I understand how it works in a recession. Does it work just as well when it's a huge sellers market? Well, look, sales has
0: never really been an issue because there's so many people out there that can't qualify for a traditional loan yeah. that we got a lot of people to sell. To, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and even in the even in the bad economies, there are blue collar workers that are, are 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 making enough to put these down payments. Look at the tax return of a family of four that doesn't make a lot of money. They're getting five and six and seven thousand dollars in their tax return.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: so yep. there's a um. so the problem in the good times, like right now, it's hard to find inventory. I can sell all the time. But the question is,
1: when can you find the most inventory?
0: Because sales has never really been the problem.
1: Yeah. So right now
0: it's hard to find inventory. Yeah. So how are you finding inventory?
1: How are you doing that, Mitch? I I wanted to ask you, that's an important question. How are you finding deals to buy?
0: All right. Now, you ready for this?
1: I'm ready, man. Do it. Everyone's, everyone's leaning forward. I've done this hundreds and
0: hundreds of times. And, 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 And when the market got really hot in 2001 and 2002 and 2003 and all that, Four or five. You know, when it got really hot and A and E had flipped this whatever on every channel and you know, H G T V and everything.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) I make a left turn right out of houses into mobile homes and land. No one gives a crap about a friggin' mobile home. No one wants to finance them, so their values are down. And I changed all that because I will finance the living hell out of them all day long, thirty years. And I changed the whole dynamic of a mobile home because I'll make the loan for thirty years fixed. Okay. So no one's out there trying to buy mobile homes. No one understands them. And I I take a left turn every time the economy gets hot, I take a left turn right out of town to the rural parts, to the mobile home subdivisions, not parks. However, there was one day at time in my life with my Cuban partner, he became my partner in this business, where I bought 140 mobile homes in parks that I did not own on rented lots. And I went to the bank and I borrowed a million dollars to buy mobile homes. In six weeks, I bought 40 mobile homes because at the time there was a crisis in the mobile home industry. And you could buy, if you bought 20 at a time off the repo lot, you could get them for 6000 a apiece. Okay. So with a million bucks, I bought 140 mobile homes. Of course, you had to pay to transport them and set them up, do, you know, fix-ups and stuff. Yep. So I bought 140 homes. For a million bucks and I seller financed them back before Dodd Frank at 14 and percent. I sold them all for 23 to $25,000 owner finance for 15 or 16 or 18 years or whatever I needed to do. And I created $4.8 million worth of notes with a million bucks. And you know what? In 4.8 at 14 and percent. So I I'm, a, I'm a, I know what I'm talking about in this mobile home thing. And then the one, but that business had a lot of turnover because they were just transient. I bet yeah. you I sold those 140 yeah. mobile homes 500 times. No kidding. Wow. It's like the perfect wow. business if you never want to run out of inventory because you just keep selling the same houses over and over again. Yeah. Don't really like it. But, you know, I grew out of that fate. It got me to where I was going, but I grew out of it. But I did learn that mobile homes with land, a double wide on a half acre, a double wide on an acre, those stuck. And they were worth just as much as houses, even though the blue book, the NADA book for a mobile home said it wasn't worth anything because it was 10 years old and, and, and in disrepair. Yeah. Uh, you know, I use the NADA to buy the house and then I throw the book away. I go right across the street and start calculating the rents in the apartments across the way and then the houses down the street and I put the formula on and I sell it. It doesn't matter. I didn't need an appraisal. I was the underwriter. I just need to make sure that I was very competitive with the rents, if not even a little lower. Yeah. By $10. Wow. And, And I bought hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of mobile homes and financed them. You know, mobile homes have a bad rap because they say they just fall apart. It's not that the mobile home falls apart. It's generally the people that move into them don't have the money or won't do the maintenance. Yeah. A mobile home will last as long as your $5 million house. If you don't fix the roof on a $5 million house when it leaks, it won't be worth anything in 10 years either. If you don't, you know, so the problem is who they're not getting maintained. Mobile homes are built in a more controlled environment and have more regulation and engineering in them than any house ever did. They're so controlled. They're built under a roof. It never rains on a mobile home when it's halfway built. You know, but we have houses that this happens in every day.
1: Yep. hundred percent. Wow. That's
0: awesome. So I can talk to you a lot about that too, but it doesn't matter if it's a cardboard box and you can live in it, you can um, sleep in it, you can refrigerate your food, you can put your appliances in it, <laughs> you can take a crap in it, you can make love to your <laughs> wife in it. I don't care if, if it meets all these criterias, then it's worth whatever the, you can use the rent formula across the street and back into
1: it. I love it. Mitch, I took I made a, a soft promise. I shouldn't call it a soft promise, a promise to you to be done by the end of the hour, and we're not gonna get uh, it. But but oh, here's 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 what people don't know. You told me it was okay, and I told you I would still get you out of here, but you I know you don't have anything going on, but this is good stuff, man. This is interesting for people. And I think with the economy we're in, with the economy we're moving to, what everyone thinks, these are the techniques, these are the strategies that people really need to hear. They really, really do. And I, I love, you know, everyone thinks, well, he's doing this, he's probably getting private money at two and three percent, and maybe you are, but it works at 10%. It, you can do it, right? It still works. So let's not make that excuse. I mean, that's hard money cost almost. I mean, we're, we're talking about you can't have hard money that long, but I mean, we're getting into pretty high interest. Oh,
0: Nor no, no, no can you wrap it. Right. And that's the key. I got I got permission to wrap these mortgages, meaning I can I can get the loan to buy the house and then I can sell the house on payments and not have to pay my underlying debt holder off. I can collect payments. They pay me 850. I pay my debt holder 350 or 400, whatever I owe them. And I keep them in the middle. And yeah. I'm not a landlord. Yeah. So but here's the thing. Ben. There's another step, so I'm paying eight and nine and ten percent for this money from my private lender. Yep. It works, and the reason why it works is when you're paying that kind of rate, it's not really difficult to get people to sit down and listen to you. If enough people listen to you, a certain amount will say yes. Yeah. But you know, when you yep. say I'm paying eight or nine or ten percent, people go, "What are you doing? Let me let me hear about that." You know. Yeah. So so then what happens is, and I just did this. I'm very bankable. Make no mistake about it. I borrow private money for a reason. Lots of reasons. Um, one is. Everything I borrow is non-recourse collateral only. And if you don't like the value of the collateral versus what you're loaning me, then don't do this loan. That's my. That's one of the last sentences I say to my private lenders when I talk to them, when they're thinking about doing it. I says, I need you to understand one thing. This is a collateral only, non-recourse loan. Only one of two things can happen. And I have the right to exercise those two things any day I want. Number one, I can pay you as degree. Or number two, I can walk my position in this property right over to you any day I want. So if you don't like that collateral for the amount of money we're talking about, you loaning me, then do not do this loan. Now I've never given a house back because I know if I do that, they'll stop loaning me money. Yep. I never been foreclosed on, never any of that, because I know, I mean, I'll, I'll eat alone a hundred percent before I will ever even tell them that I had a problem Yeah. because I, private money is what makes my world go around. Yep. Without them, I don't have a business. Yep. Okay. So they, they uh, over my dead body, does anyone not get paid what they were agreed over my dead body? Um, so the other thing is, uh, where was I going?
1: Well, let me ask you this: Why you're when, thinking of it? Why not use your own money? You, you obviously okay. Make a hold lot on, of money. hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah.
0: Hold on. We will get to that. It's a okay, great question. Okay. But let me tell you. So, so then what happens? So I had I had this portfolio of a lot of people that owe me money. I'd like uh, 300 people owe me notes. I go find my best 35 notes, and I put them on a spreadsheet. How much the sales price was, how much they put down, the interest rate, 9.9 or 10 or 10.1, whatever it is, their monthly P and I payment, all of that. It's on a spreadsheet and I take it to the bank and I say, look, I got these people in these houses. I don't own these houses anymore. So I can't refinance these houses, but I have these notes. These 35, these 35 people in these 35 houses owe me. $3.7 million right now. They, if you add up the, if you look down there, the balance of their loans right now today, they owe me $3.7 million. I borrowed $1.8 million from my private lenders at eight and nine, 10%. I want to pledge this $3.7 million worth of notes. I want to pledge them as collateral for $1.8 million. And, and I'm talking to my banker. I want you to loan me 1.8 million. And they're saying, I said, "What can you do for me?" They said, "We'll give you 15 years, 14.25 fixed, no adjustment." And I like, bam! I I pay my 1.8 off, and a magical thing happens. When the 1.8 million dollars got loaned to me, it was in the first position on those houses. Yeah. When my buyer bought the house and I made him a loan, my loan was in the second position, and so they were in a precarious. You know, that's what a wrap a mor- wrap around mortgage. part of what a wraparound mortgage explains. It explains to the buyer that you have a risk here. If Mitch doesn't pay these underlying investors, everybody loses the house.
1: You know what I mean?
0: And they still agree. They still go in. So when I pay it, when I pledge those notes and I, and I cash out my 1.8 million to my private lenders that first goes away. So now these people drop into the first position and and they don't even know what I've done for them, but I have done a great, huge favor mm-hmm. of put them in a much better position, my buyer, because now they're in a first lien position with me on this house, Yeah, you know, and the risk has gone away. And, um, and so, the bank looks at me and goes, okay, you got $3.7 million worth of notes. What are the houses worth? Yeah. And they and they don't even have to get a real estate appraisal because technically this is not a real estate loan. They're loaning me money on a document, on a on a security document. Yeah. yeah. It's a it's it's not a real estate loan, technically. And so the underwriters can't make them get an appraisal on every house. So what they typically do is they'll pick random 15 houses out of the 35 and they'll pay $150 each to a to get a broker's professional opinion, a BPO, mm-hmm. and if my balances look in line, then they just move on, and so it saves about fifteen thousand dollars in fees. So this is what happens, and my cash flow jumps up tremendously because you can imagine the the difference between ten percent amortizing and four point two five. Yeah, so it, it's a it's a win all the way around. And then I freed up my one point eight eight million of private money. So I don't have to go find one point eight of new people. I just freed up the one point eight from people that already trust me.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: The biggest problem of the whole situation is a lot of those people in the 1.8 didn't want to be paid off. That's my yeah. problem. They're screaming at me because they want their money back out working. <laughs> That's the biggest problem of the whole situation. Is yeah. that I gotta be careful not to wipe out any one lender's portfolio because they're gonna be upset with me that their money's not out. And rightfully so. If 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 I If their money's only out three months out of the year, if I, even if I'm paying them 10%. It's not a good annual ROI because their money wasn't out all the time at 10%. So I have to be careful. So I would go through all of my notes and I would handpick, you know, this guy has 20 loans with me. I'm going to take two. This guy has 15 loans with me. I'm going to take two. This guy only has 10 loans with me. I'm just going to take one, you know, and I would, and I would spread, I would spread my refinancing efforts out among a lot of people and not hurt any one guy bad.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. And I had, I had a lot of questions and you just answered them all basically. So why not use your own money? Let's go back to that. You got, you have money. Okay. So I buy houses with OPM. Now there's three, you know, there's three things. Oh, other people's money, by the o- way. is what OPM stands for, for those of you o- listening. OPM, other yep. people's money. Yep.
0: There's, there's three kinds of deals. And I'm quoting Jack Bosch now. He wrote the book called Forever Cash. And I read that book and, and he opened my mind to something. There's there's one-time cash events, wholesales and flips, buy and fix and flip. You know, those things when you only get one check and it's over, yep. okay? There's one-time cash events. There's temporary cash events, like my seller financing. I got some down payment money to live on today and I got this $500 a month supposedly gonna come in for 360 months, okay? That's temporary cash because notes will expire. Yep. They're You know, and usually they expire sooner than later. Like 10 years is about the average. They get paid off somehow. So you got to take the money you make from one-time cash events and temporary cash events, which is my real estate flipping business, and you got to put it into something forever. So you have to create a forever cash, something that ends when you say it ends. That's apartments or or strip centers or commercial buildings or... You know, I chose with my money, I buy self-storage units. I own 14 locations. I am CanyonLakeStorage.com. I have 1,300 people around the lake where I live in 14 different locations that owe me a hundred bucks a door. 1,300 times a hundred is how much? 130,000 a month. Mm. So you got 150,000 a month coming in from the house flipping notes and you got 130,000 coming in from the, I don't have to work again a day in my life. I never have. I mean, I haven't for years. I haven't had to work for years. Why do I do this? So give me the benefit of the doubt on the first. You got a reasonably decent looking man. I, I said, give me the, give me the, all give right. me the benefit right. of the doubt. I'll give you that. i right. give you that. Okay. You know, you got an energetic man full of energy. Okay. You got a fun guy. What happens to a, to this guy when he has nothing but money and nothing to do all day long? You think it's a good thing or you think bad thing? That's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. So I put my ass to work and get out there. And and then I started the educational business because after after you've succeeded in making enough, whatever that number is for you, enough, another million dollars a year ain't gonna change where I live. It ain't gonna change what I eat. It's not gonna change my friends. It's not gonna change the car I drive. It's not gonna change anything. I had to find a higher reason than money to get involved, and how we, you know, Dale Ramsey, they do the primal scream when people get debt free. Yep. Well, in my educational business, we ring the bell when a student comes in and says, "I fired my boss today because I just don't need him anymore. I don't have. I quit my job today because I don't need it. You, you have helped me get to a point where I can be in control of my own destiny now. And what my, what turns me on for whatever reason, and I don't know why, is to to know that I had a part in 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 helping a person." Become their own person so that they have 2,600 hours a year now that they were giving to someone else, to someone else's cause. They give it to themselves and their own family, and they can become the person that they were meant to be in their life because they have the time now to 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 dwell on themselves and on their personal setting. Yeah, yeah. And that's what turns me on.
1: I love it. I love it, man. You're right. And I think uh, you're right there has to be a higher one, right? Money, the pursuit of money, the pursuit of success financially or business-wise, it does sort of, it, it can fade if you don't have anything else behind that that you're trying to do. And I, I love that you said that. And it brings up, I wanna talk about real quick, you wrote a series of book called My Life and a Thousand Houses. We discussed, you've done over 2,000 houses now. So that's that that part of the book is is uh, is getting aged a little bit. Uh, but My Life and a Thousand Houses, three of them, the first one or the first one on my list, Failing Forward to Financial Freedom, uh, the second one, 200 plus ways to find bargain properties, which is fantastic. And the third one, the art of owner financing. They're all available on Amazon. I went and checked them out. You guys should check them out too. Clearly, Mitch knows exactly what he's talking about. Uh, you know, I, I say this every once in a while. When I have a guest on and I've done a shockingly low amount of talking, that means whoever is talking is got my interest 100% and they're really spilling some good stuff. And, and I didn't do as much talk as I normally do. And that's great. I love that because you were just... Just giving it up like crazy. And uh, I want to thank you for that. If you go to uh, uh, Mitch's website, 1000houses.com, you can find him. You can find out what he was up to, about all of his programs, his books, everything that he's got there. Mitch, I, I want to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna wrap this up now. As much as I'm enjoying this, I can foresee uh, reaching out to you again in the future and going a little deeper into some of these. Because as much as you talked, I feel like there were certain things we could go even deeper. And there's things we didn't even touch on that I wanted to talk about. So you, but man, you've just given up so much. It's it's so incredible that 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 you're willing to do that. So thank you for doing it. Is there anything else that you want to tell everybody? Anything else you want to you want to talk about before we wrap it up?
0: Yeah, sure. Well, one is I hope that you come to my podcast, the 1000houses.com podcast. I'm going to interview you, I think, here yep. in, in a little bit. Yep. I've done over 430 interviews. Uh, I, I, I never dreamed, you know, those books. I never, I never, I never wanted to write a book. Something tragic happened and I was journaling and someone got a hold of that book and said, you got it. You got to put this out. I, I, I never intended to write a book. The first one. Now, the second and third book, people were demanding, how do you buy so many houses and how do you do this? And I thought, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll write it once so I don't have to keep repeating. Yeah. And, and everyone can get, you know, just right. I can yeah. get it just right. But um, yeah, go to 1000houses.com. Uh, check it out. And if you, I have coaching programs and stuff there, but I I give away the farm. And if you can do it by yourself, go ahead. And that's fine. There's a certain amount of people that can do that, but still you're going to pay the street for mistakes and you're going to pay. So those that recognize that I might be a benefit and can save you some anxiety and some mistakes, I know they'll find me. So it's, it's not a big heavy duty sales pitch, but people know when a person's right for them and it makes sense. Um, but I want to thank you for having me on and and, uh, it's been fun, man.
1: Yeah. It's been a great time. I've learned a lot and that's always fun. And, uh, yeah, I do, I want to make sure people understand you have a podcast, 1000 houses. I'm going to be on there guys. Go check it out. Listen to it. Subscribe, uh, give it a rating and review. That's super important to us podcasters. And it helps us out quite a bit. So go do that. And, uh, Mitch, this has been fun. I'm, I'm even more excited to be on your show now. I think, I think, uh, we're going to have a good time. So thank you for doing this.
0: Yeah. We'll have a good time. And, and just remember, I never have been like the smartest guy in the room. So for you guys that are out there, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a genius. If I have something going for me, it's just I stayed with the same strategy and honed it for over 20 years, okay? So I just know a lot about that business by default, but by a lot of mistakes too. So I never claim to know it all. That's why I have my podcast because I get to speak to smart people and keep me sharp. And I learn things every day, <laughs> every single day. Part of the residual of having a podcast that I didn't count on was that I would meet so many intelligent people yeah. that I got to talk to for an extended period of time and ask them whatever I wanted to. It was like yep. the greatest that I didn't calculate.
1: Yeah, same here. And and today is a prime example of that for me. So thank you again. I appreciate it. All right, man. All right, man. Well, we'll be talking to you soon. Have a good rest of your week and uh, go check go check Mitch out at 1000houses.com. Thanks a lot. All right, guys. What a fun episode. That one went longer than most do. Uh, but I think the way he is utilizing seller finance is really cool and and very effective. He makes a very, very good argument, uh, not that he had to argue with me about it, about how this really can work well in a down market. And guys, I think we're headed for a down market right now. As I record this, it's September, 2020, and it currently is a seller's market. It's a big seller's market right now. Like People are getting top dollar, but the buyer's market is coming. We are, I think, at the top of this roller coaster hill, and we're about to go down. And uh, and I think these strategies are going to be the kind of strategies that will help you thrive in that down market and really take advantage of of uh, the market that you're in at the time. So I hope you got a lot out of that. I did. I took a lot of notes. I'm going to be doing some stuff in this area as well, trying to take advantage of some seller marketing techniques as we move forward into the future. And I think you should too. So. Guys, get out there today and get started. I know I say it all the time, but seriously, after listening to an episode like this, if you're not motivated to get out there and make something happen, I don't know what to tell you. This was a good episode, lots and lots of gold nuggets that were being dropped everywhere, and you need to get out there and start taking action, okay? Don't complain about your situation unless you're willing to do something about it. Get out today. Get out there today and make today the best day ever. All right, we'll talk to you next time. Okay. You're still there. You're still listening. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that. Now, hopefully it wasn't an accident. Hopefully you didn't leave the room and I'm just talking to an empty room right now, but assuming you're still there, I want to do something really, really cool for you for a limited time. I want to give you a free digital download of my book, the entire book level jumping. If you're a listener to the show, you know it just came out, and it really details how I took my business from being like one where I was just doing a few deals a month, maybe one or two deals a month, to doing over 10 and sometimes 15 deals a month, and over 100 a year. And I went from doing very little profit to over a million dollars in profit, and I made that transformation in a 12-month period. And this book talks about what I did, the steps I took to transform my business and how you can too. So grab a free digital download and you can get that by texting the words, just start, as two words now, just start to the number five five four four. So text just start to 55444. I will send you a free digital download of my book. It's the complete book. There's nothing held back. And that'll be completely yours just for making it to the end of the show and listening to me. And I really, really appreciate it, guys. So I want to do something nice for you. I do this every once in a while at the end of shows. And if you listen to the very end, every once in a while, I do a giveaway like this. So hopefully you enjoy that. Go grab a free copy. I hope you read it. I hope you love it. Reach out, let me know what you think. All right, guys, talk to you next time.